0: Hey everyone, my name is Danilo Petrovic. I'm Ilya Marchenko I'm Tiana Skudla I'm Evgeny Gonsko I'm Henry Laksan
1: I'm Peter Turepko Henry And Henry you're Henry listening Henry Henry to Henry the Game Henry to Love podcast Well hey, welcome back to the Game to Love podcast and today I'm joined with John. Um, We've taken an extra day just to recover. It's been a long two weeks, Ben's off for a bit Uh, but we've got John in the house today to talk about which was a historic night in the US. Novak Djokovic, he lost the final. We've got a new Grand Slam champion in Daniel Medvedev. How are you doing mate?
0: Good. I guess I should really be saying, Welcome back, tennis fans. <laughs> but I guess there's only one person for that job.
1: Yeah, I had to mix it up a little bit because I know Ben yeah. has his own little uh rhetoric at the start. Is it true well? that
0: is it yeah, I'm good. Is it true that actually that isn't him? He just records that for five seconds to give himself another five and he's just got the same one and then he and then he bursts in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. But um Yeah, yeah I'm good. I'm, big... good, I'm good, I'm good. It's a big one we've got in store today. Um, it's been a very busy two weeks, especially for us in the UK with the timing. I know it's even worse for you in Germany, that one hour extra. But yeah. I thought this US Open, I don't want to be too biased, but I thought it was one of the best I've ever seen. I loved yep. every moment of it. We go back to the women's, Emma Raducanu winning the whole thing. No one expected it, let's be honest. It was it was a big thing, her getting out the qualifiers. And then from there, just got, went on from strength to strength. We had the on the men's so many stories happening, some young players coming through. I thought Alcaraz was a real sort of shining light of the US Open, um, and ultimately we ended up in a bit of a predictable final. Final, if you're being honest, we had the number one seed, the number two seed, um, but it just wasn't wasn't to be for Djokovic. And there's so much to get into, so let's just get started with it. Um, I do have some some uh, some tweets like I usually do, so let me just pop them on the screen. Yeah, uh, sure. we're going to just start here with the the main one, the men's singles champion. It's his third uh, chance of it. He got to three finals. This is his third one. He finally won it. Um, I'm over the moon for him. He, I feel like he deserves it. You've looking at sort of the other players, the chasing pack, as to say. You've got Sisapas, He went up two sets um, this year in a Grand Slam final, ended up losing. Zverev last year at the U.S. Open went up two sets, ended up losing you got Mm -hmm. Dominic team. He's got a grand slam. um, And then sort of the other guys, they're not quite there yet with the likes of Rublev and some of the others. But I'm so, so pleased for Medvedev. I feel like he does deserve it, especially this time of year as well on the hard courts. He he definitely comes into his own and gets a lot better. Uh, I'm not sure what it is with the seasons, but he just doesn't like the start of the year. And if anyone wants to win this US Open, I'm just thrilled that it's him.
0: But we do see that with one or two players that sort of tend to peak at different times of the season. Um, I guess some of it may be deliverance, some of it may be just the way their bodies are, and some of it may be their age, et cetera. Uh, And also even just the courts themselves perhaps can be, we will look at hard courts as being all the same, but we do know that certain courts are a little bit quicker, certain tournaments will use different balls. And he certainly is somebody that tends to peak around about now. And during this North American swing in 2019, he had an unbelievable run. And in fact, you know, he was arguably did better than this year until obviously ultimately winning the U S open. We've also seen it with Nadal. He tends to do better in the U S open than Australia. And conversely, um, uh Djokovic tends to do a lot better in Australia than he does at the US.
1: Yeah. And let's just get straight into the final and how it, sure. how it sort of played out. Was there really any moment where you thought Djokovic is going to win that match? Obviously, before the match, I think most people thought he's going to be, he's going to have a little bit too much for Medvedev. There was a, some people predicting Medvedev. Don't want to get too cocky, but I did go for it myself. But really, was there any moments during that final where you think, oh, Djokovic's growing into it here? I think he's going to make a comeback because for me, I thought it was very, very one sided. Novak Djokovic, it has it's all caught up with him. Let's be honest. Mm. Um, there's people saying the reason for his loss was mentally, the pressure, he couldn't handle it. I think that is an element, sm- a little bit. The biggest thing for me, which was most telling, was his legs. Novak Djokovic's legs were finished, he was exhausted. And I honestly felt like, felt like, going into it on all the previews we spoke about, the physicality of Djokovic, how no one can really match him, especially over five sets. It, 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 it They could, in, in essence, because I think he had to come to the net more and more as the match went on. Um, he didn't want to rally from the baseline with Medvedev because he was mm. unable to, to sort of maintain the long rallies.
0: But, but was and that also not, maybe not linked to the nerves as well, that he wanted shorter points? He wasn't trusting himself to be hitting the baseline as he did so often in Australia?
1: Yeah, for sure. I th- that's what I'm saying. There probably is a, a small dynamic of that, for sure. And there was so much pressure on him. And another weird thing for him was the crowd were actually supporting him for a change. So they, he's had yeah. the crowd more or less going against him the whole tournament. They get to the final and he's got them on their side. And I feel like Djokovic is looking up like, what's going on here? Am yeah. I in the right venue? What's happening?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that that was a bit strange. But, but yeah, I, I just don't think he played very well. And, and a lot of that you can attribute for me to the fact that his legs were, were, were very tired. He's he's someone who, going through this tournament, he's not had to play on the front foot very very often. He, mm. he turns it up in spells, but ultimately he just does what he does best and that relies on his physicality to win matches. Against Berrettini, that's a prime example of him doing that. He can sit deep and, and just sort of work it out and force it onto the backhand each time of Berrettini and he knows that he's got enough class to be able to, to sort of beat these type of players.
0: I mean, um, can't I mean, do that against Medvedev? No, and you said that um, you know. Was there any point uh, where I thought that Djokovic might win this or come back? Um, I, I didn't from the minute the the, the, the match started. If you like, All, what, what I was says there was no turning point that we that I thought was yeah. going to come. I thought not necessarily that it would happen during the first set or not even the first couple. Actually, I think it was the beginning of the second set. You thought, okay, here comes the turning point. That's he gets right, the, yeah. he gets the three break points, and you think, here we go. His legs will now relax. He'll become more confident. I mean, if we think about all these matches this year where he's been behind and he's struggled, particularly, say, from the French Open, two sets down, you're kind of just waiting for him to turn it around against Musetti. Guess what? He turns it around. Even against Nadal, there was a turning point, uh, funny enough, before the end of the first set, I felt, as he kind of fought his way back into that first set, unlike the French Open final the year before. Again, in the final, you know, in the final... It was nip and tuck those first two sets that were just you know a couple of balls here and there and and but he was way off the pace here and and even through this this U.S. Open run there were turning points and they they were, you were just waiting for it to happen we were waiting for it to happen on Sunday but it, it just never came and it, there was he didn't really show up until midway through the third set let's say
1: yeah agreed agree the only turning point you can really talk to talk about was the one you said love forty wasn't he in the second yeah. set at the start of that. The biggest telling point for me in the match was, me and Ben spoke about on the stream, a very weird, uncharacteristic shot from both players, but Djokovic ended up losing the set on it. And that was set point on the second. Um, Medvedev, I believe, he came come into the net and it was a very weird volley. Um, wasn't a good one. Yeah. And you'd expect every time Djokovic down the line yeah. or lob him or whatever, it doesn't matter what he could do. He had plenty of time and he dragged it wide and it wasn't close either. Yeah. And yeah. that for me was like, he didn't like he didn't he didn't really feel that confident that he's going to be passing Medvedev today. And Medvedev had him exactly where he wanted. Yeah. And I think we've got to give heap a lot of praise on Medvedev for that. Because looking at his game, was there any weaknesses really? Medvedev, let's compare it, say, to like 2019 when he reached the mm-hmm. US Open Final. Mm-hmm. I thought it was I thought he played very well in that final as well yeah. against Rafa. Very, yeah. very well. People dismissed it because he went down early, didn't he? But then yep. he was fighting back. I thought he, Rafa, in essence, was actually a little bit lucky to get through. Uh, yep. Just showed some experience. Mm-hmm. But here, Medvedev, he played just as good as that final, if not better, I think.
0: I because... think better. Better. I think he was more consistent, especially on his serve.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, listen, we, well, we can talk about the serve first. The second serve so much better yep. now from Daniel Medvedev. I love the fact that he's passing shots. He's able to sort of get them, like, dip them. At the last moment, Djokovic was unable really to uh, respond to his stretching all over the place. And as much as Novak Djokovic is, well, he's so fast around the court and he, he seems to be able to cover so much ground. He couldn't cover the ground Daniel Medvedev was making him cover. And you've got to give a lot of credit to Medvedev for doing that because the crowd didn't actually, they they wanted him to lose. Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, or they wanted Novak to win anyway. Yeah. But the, the big comparison for me, less than so than 2019, really has to be the 2021 Australian Open final. Same yep. opponents, okay. same surface, not that long ago. So we can really look at some stark differences there. And there's a couple of things I'd like to highlight when compa- comparing those two. First of all, because his first serve, and especially his second serve that you highlight, I think it's eight kilometres faster per hour on average. Than it was. And he took a few more risks on his second serve, I think. In fact, risk is really what I want to bring to my second point because actually he was a bit more aggressive on Sunday than he yeah. was in Australia. He was very cautious Australia. in Australia. His coach said today, actually, I saw, or at least I saw a quote from his coach today. Um, said that that was a plan, that we were going to be a bit more aggressive than we were in Australia. He was too timid in Australia and we wanted to change things a bit. We wanted to put Novak a bit on the back foot from time to time. And that was something that we saw with that second serve in particular. Whereas in Australia, Novak was hitting it as a return, was going right on the baseline towards Medvedev's feet before he could even get himself organised. And even with the first serve in Australia, Novak was reading it so well and getting his racket on it that even though it was looping up at a slow pace, it was looping up and landing on the baseline and resetting the rally, which is as good as you can hope for against someone with as good a first serve as Medvedev has. So that for me was was huge and, and arguably the point in the match. But I also think Novak's nerves do play into that as well. He was probably taking a little bit more caution. He wasn't going for his, his spots and his lines as much in terms of the return, and other even during the rallies. And um, when he was going for winners during the rallies, they were wayward.
1: It, it was an ugly game from Djokovic, the final. He played so well up until that point as well. I thought they both had relatively comfortable draws. Um, probably Medvedev had the easiest, let's be honest. Yeah, it yeah it certainly from the
0: quarterfinals onwards. Did yeah.
1: he really get challenged too much in the tournament? There was no reverse. I think the only person taking a, a set off him was van der Zanslop. And, yeah. well, we've spoke about that match. I feel like he just, he took the set off himself, if I'm honest. Um, but Djokovic, he did get tested... Maybe I was a bit harsh to say it was a very easy draw because he did have to play Zverev. who had him on his side. That was That's a really tough. Yeah. And oh, then I then
0: think Djokovic's draw from the quarterfinals was tough. I mean, you couldn't yeah. get much if tougher you than... You can't
1: get any tougher, no.
0: No. But um, one thing I did do today was I just watched the first two games because actually I was kind of cooking dinner and had my one eye on the game and was just thinking, you know, you don't really see much in the first couple of games. And I actually, you know, largely missed them. And, and to be honest with you, I think Djokovic did too because... When I watch them back today, knowing the result, I think it's always quite interesting to look at the turning points and look at certain big moments in matches when you kind of know what happened and you kind of fuse what you think you saw and then you can also see what happens with the result and maybe even look for clues. And in that first game, um, I just remember the, uh, Djokovic was up 40-15 in the first game of the match. And don't forget, this is basically the game that costs him the first set. Okay, there's yeah. other moments in the first set when he could have got back into it. But but basically, this is where he has his serve broken and Medvedev ultimately closes it out from there. And yeah. he's 40-15 up in that first game. Um, but I noticed that he's not getting many first serves in, or at least there's a double fault in that first game. Um, I think uh, half the time he's getting his first serve in, half the time he isn't. So many unforced errors, there's no winner from him, and yeah, it's just littered with errors. And really, he should have won that game from 40 15 up. Oh, yeah, um, and that kind of set the tone. And but what I didn't think was that the commentary is very interesting as well. The commentators basically finished the first game, much as I thought when I saw that he, you know, I saw bits of the first game live, and when he lost it, I just thought oh, well, it doesn't make any difference almost to this game. It's not grass. It's it's a different surface. We've seen Jovak behind a set, you know, we've even seen him such two sets behind at times this year. So being a breakdown that early is is almost good for him in a way that he can now just get on with the job. And
1: not just that, he doesn't start always that well. A lot of the playoffs no, right. have been covering. He, he can often go down a break at the start. Yeah. And then you, you expect him still to be fighting back. You get right. to a tie break, you can still lose the set. But then Djokovic wins in four and he does what he does yeah. best. There wasn't... Listen, there were so many moments where I didn't believe that Medvedev could win. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know when I really felt it. I think it was probably, I'll be honest, right towards the end, about five-one into the third set. Because even down a break at the start, you're thinking you never know if he breaks back. Now he could get this one to to the business end and do something sure. special. Um, but yeah, it wasn't to be. Just shout out to the people in the chat. Sorry guys, I'm not ignoring you guys. Uh, there's just been there's so much to talk about here. We've got Gene here, our patron, asking. Or or saying Medvedev didn't drop a single point of his first serve in the first set. He came out the traps very, very quickly. And if you've got a big serve like that and you're finding a lot of first serves and he's not, Djokovic can't even return them, then that was a big sign as well. Um, But really, the key takeaway for me, I keep repeating it, is the fact that Djokovic physically looked very tired. He wasn't able to play his best game. And if you compare this to, like you said, in this, in Australia, he seemed a little bit fresher, that tournament, than what he is coming into this US Open. Um, he's still a little bit uh, disappointed, no doubts, with what happened in the Olympics, I'm sure. And you could see he was losing his head again. He smashed a racket. Um, I think that was, was that in, the, in the second set
0: yes um towards the end of the sex set, maybe around the time yeah. oh, it was it was actually uh, actually maybe earlier it wasn't it was very close to the time it wasn't the exact point but it was very close to the moment when the music played and uh he lost those break point opportunities yeah. i i will just disagree with you slightly though jg on on the reasoning you know you i know you put a lot of it down to fatigue i would put that down that that weariness if you like or that heaviness that heavy leggedness i would put that down to anxiety more than than actual tiredness and and i'll tell you why because actually it was when all seemed lost midway two-thirds of the way through the third set you know when actually the the the, he relaxed And actually he started finding his spots and, and actually playing better. So that's why he managed to break back. Because at 5-1 down, you're thinking, you know, this is done. And then he sees the chink of light and then he's going for it. And if he'd have broken back again, he may well have won that third oh, set. Listen. Um, <laughs> there was the a med- moment in
1: that third set where everything could have t- turned around. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying because that was the best tennis we saw combined. Yeah. Medvedev held him off. And that is, for me, the most impressive thing about Daniel, Daniel Medvedev was holding Djokovic back. When yeah. you can see he's having a moment with the crowd, there's like a tear in his eye. They're all chanting the Olay. They all want him to win. And he raised his game. He meant business. For a moment, I thought he's breaking back. Honestly, at five-four, I thought, oh, here we go again. This is going to be the greatest comeback I've ever seen. And Medvedev managed to to defend it off, which I thought was special. Um but I understand. I understand what you're trying to say, there, John. Uh, because you can say that, but I do feel like fatigue is definitely a factor. Whether or not it is the same thing we're talking about in terms of he was very anxious. Um, the pressure got to him, and it vis- It made well, him look no. a bit. It made him look a bit run down. I just I didn't mean, see him did... closing the net quick enough. He wasn't. He wasn't the. It didn't seem to have the same defense as what he usually does. There's some what sort of passing through him, and you'd expect him to get more returns back. And But, yeah, who's to but know he was what, angry what the his, was?
0: He was angry kind of with his own body at one point. In in other words, his body wasn't doing the things that he wanted it to do. And there was one point just before he's, uh, he smashed the racket, I think it was, he kind of punches his leg almost. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, but it's I like...
1: Think Liam said it in the chat at the time. The the key thing, when you're punching your legs, the reason you do that is because you're, you're tight. You're getting the blood yeah. flowing.
0: Tight, but I would say tight from anxiety. That's my point.
1: Okay. So let's move on to some of the, <laughs> the tweets because there's so many to get through. Sure. Um, I think the key sort of takeaway here, actually I think this one's about Medfordevs. So this is what he said after the match. He said, knowing that I beat somebody who was 27-0 in a year in Grand Slams, I lost to him in Australia. He was going for huge history and knowing that I managed to stop him, it definitely makes it sweeter and brings me confidence for what is to come. And just adding on that as well, we also saw what he said on Court how He's never openly said this before, but for him, the greatest player is Novak Djokovic.
0: Mm-hmm. And Djokovic, by the way, said uh, basically his first sort of rawest and freshest comments. So this is long before the press conference on the court itself. He just said he felt relieved. He said that's. He said he's relieved. It's all done. Really, yeah. you know that that whole that whole story. And yeah, and and Medvedev. I, I think you touched on it to some extent. I think confidence um is a thing that separates him from certainly from Zverev and from Tsitsipas, but He's even team to some extent. He's a front he, runner, that's what he yeah, is. Yeah, and his 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 confidence is, is much higher and much more um what's the word robust, basically. Yep. That that you know he managed to close it out. He turned up on the biggest stage of all and, and performed to his best. And okay, maybe he didn't quite do that in Australia this year. He did it probably for half the match against Rafa which all of that adds up to a far bigger body of good work than than Zverev and Sitsipas probably have put together.
1: Yeah, and them guys must be watching this. Um, Tad, I don't know. Are they happy for Medvedev? I'm not sure if they are. I think deep down they're a little bit disappointed because they've both had opportunities. They've both been up two sets to love in a Grand Slam final. They've not been able to take it. And they've just watched Daniel Medvedev do it against Novak Djokovic, while he's going for the calendar year Grand Slam. I don't think they're that, they're, that, they're that pleased, if I'm honest. And hopefully, what I think could happen is it spurs everyone on. We're going to see a big rivalry now. We know Medvedev, he doesn't really get on too well with um Sitsipas. Sitsipas? I think it's fair yeah. if they're okay. Yeah. um, But certainly Pass. So that's going to get him going, for sure. And what he's been able to do, listen, let's talk about this goal. Uh, this, not the golden one. He didn't, wasn't able to do that. The, the calendar year Grand Slam. We've got our man here. Rod Laver, um, he tweeted after afterwards saying, simply stunning, Daniel Medvedev, you stopped one of the greatest tonight. To win your first Grand Slam title is always special. To do it against a champion like Novak Djokovic is something else. Take heart, Novak. The quest continues. Best wishes. And obviously, he's the last man uh, to win the calendar year slam. It's something which is... I think, virtually impossible to achieve. Mm-hmm, Djokovic, mm-hmm. he got within one match. And yeah. that's why you've got to look at this for all the Djokovic fans listening. There's only so much disappointment you can feel, I feel, because in, in a situation like this, I think you've just got to congratulate Medvedev and congratulate Djokovic for what he's been yeah. able to do this year. This has got to be go down in history. is one of Djokovic's greatest ever years. And he, no, he, I would. His, his
0: greatest calendar his ep- year, yeah. and, and the greatest calendar year of any male player since 1969. Yeah, and, and and I and I think this is a good point to mention as well that, and we spoke about it briefly before we came on air that, you know, Rod Laver did it on two different surfaces rather than three. He did it on grass for three of the tournaments, and one is on clay, and it was also a time where players weren't traveling so much. Um, so he may have uh, had a slightly easier run at each one of those, if you see what I mean. I mean, imagine... Imagine that Djokovic is turning up for each of the slams, and and half the field aren't there, so to speak. I mean, I know there was a couple missing the, the big hits, shall we say, from this last tournament, but he's still got to go through Berrettini, and and even the pressure's different. Uh, I don't get me wrong; I'm sure Rod Laver felt it too, but probably he felt it more on a on a micro basis for each tournament he's going into. He would have felt pressure that he, I'm sure, he would have put on himself, but he won't have that kind of calendar slam thing because it probably wasn't even a. A thing, yeah. if that makes sense. Never, yeah. It's only become a thing probably in the last sort of 30 or 40 years. And and the fact that no one has done it makes it a bigger thing and a bigger thing and a bigger thing. And Djokovic to get so close in a sport where you've got to be 100% fit. One backed
1: away, John. One backed yeah. away. He got the role on Garros. And yeah. from that moment on, he had the yeah. little break as well for the US Open. Yeah. It, it did seem written in the stars a little bit. And yeah. listen, everyone knows me on here. They say I'm a big Rafa fan. Some some of them call me a Djokovic hater, but I don't think I think that's kind of that 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 narrative's expired a little bit now because they realise I'm not I'm not that at all. But no. um it, with, with all of this, there's a part of me which is a little bit pleased because it's great for the likes of Roger and Rafa, particularly uh, Rafa, um going into Australia. They're both going to be on twenty. But the the calendar year Grand Slam, that is something which is special. I'm a bit disappointed he wasn't able to do that. Side of things, even though that means he gets another grand slam, because that is sporting greatness. Let's be honest. I don't think I'll ever see an opportunity like it in my in my year in my life. I know there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, he could do it next year. Could do this." I don't. I don't think so. You don't get an opportunity like this one. And no. listen,
0: to, I mean, in order
1: for him to do it, it wasn't that comfortable either. Let's be honest. He's had to fight through adversity. He's been down two sets in some of it. Australia yeah. was pretty comfortable ish. Um, but aside from actually, you I say that he wasn't that comfortable, he was down in that a few times in he, Australia. Taylor
0: he Taylor Fritz took, took him to push yeah. him for five sets for sure. Um, the
1: Dow in Roland Garros, that was a tough that one. was an, insane. Yeah, Garros was ridiculous. Wimbledon, yeah. I guess that he, was he lost the first set against
0: Blake, or wasn't it? But uh, that Draper. was it, although and then he, Draper, sorry, yeah, and then he also lost the first set in the final, so there's a bit of coming back there as well. Um, but but yeah, and then this run as well was losing the first set so many times. And I think losing the first set is for any other player, it's big, you know. Yeah. If you if you're a favorite going into a match, but you lose the first set against a fellow professional who's probably a top 100 player, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You've lost the first set. There's no more room, much more room for a maneuver. Um, and he came back time and time again. And and you know, Zverev pushed him to five as well. So that's the thing with this. With his Grand Slam, so those are those of you that think that you know he might. Oh, you can do it again next year. You need so many things to listen. You need to be immensely talented. You probably need to be the greatest player of all time. You also need to be fit for all of those slams. You may also need a couple of strokes of luck with one or two players maybe absent at certain tournaments, you know, or at least in 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 you know Federal was basically absent for Wimbledon. I would say in in so many ways, although he was actually there in body, and so. You have to so many things. Then you need to have a couple of net cords go your way. Then you need to, you know, you know, have Rafa slightly hurt. And, and that's just not taking any of the way that my point is not about jo- Djokovic. Here. It's just how blooming difficult it is to win for to win one or two grand slams. Never mind four. It's so it's
1: virtually impossible. We've got 12 yeah. travel 21 here. How are we doing, mate? Saying Carlos Alcaraz, golden slam in 2024. <laughs> Well, oh, for let's, the, let's for see. The let's not get reason, carried yeah. away with Alko. He's way. flying. He's flying right now. I'm really pleased for him. Uh, yeah. Another shining light in this year's US Open. Uh, let's move on to the next thing. I know there's another uh, Rod Laver one, but I think it's later on. So we've got one here from Andrew Atkinson. Uh, Djokovic had the most do- dominant slam season since Steffi Graf in 1988. And some people are seeing it as a failure. Going for records is brutal. I think we we touched on this off air. There's not many people who see it as a failure. You've got to be very delusional if you think if you think in the slightest way possible what Djokovic has done is a failure. Him losing that final is nowhere near a failure. I thought he was amazing all tournament. Um, yeah, so that, that's a load of it's a load of nonsense. Anyone saying yeah. that what he's done, well. He, I don't even know. Is is? I think you touched on it. it. Is his greatest ever year in tennis? Let's oh, be yeah, honest. I think he's, been... it's
0: certainly his greatest calendar. I mean, he, he yeah, did hold four slams wise, at yeah. the same time. So over a twelve-year period. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think many people are viewing it as a failure. And if they are, then that's silly. Uh, and, and and I don't think he is either. I think he just, as I said afterwards, he just felt relieved yeah. that it's done. It he may. It was over. The pressure. Yeah, was the whole off thing. Him. Yeah.
1: And uh, it was quite emotional seeing him into into the chair. I don't know if you saw the the images that or the, the video of him sort of crying into his towel.
0: Um, yeah, but that was be- there was a couple of cries really. One was before, was before even the match finish. Yeah, yeah that's right. I mean, I think he accepted.
1: Yeah. He accepted his body was kind of done. Like, I don't think he had much more to give with it. Uh I know you're saying that uh, well, I think there's the crowd Gave him that extra little push. Having them on his side, you could see him interacting with them. He was crying during the- and I. Th- but I
0: think that, yeah, was gave him some of the emotion. It too, gave him that- a
1: lot of energy. He was like, I'm doing yeah. this for the crowd. I'm- they're all trying to know that they want me to win this. I'm going to find something special. And we- we'll- let's talk, let's save that for anyway, because we'll talk about the end of the match towards the end of this podcast. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, and this is Medvedev is the fifth active man, such player, uh, with a win against a world number one in a slam final. We've got Rafa there, uh, seven of twelve. rank ranked three of three. Medvedev one of two, so fifty percent now. Djokovic one of four. Murray one of six.
0: Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy, and and something that the other the the players that have come up against the particularly the big three who have often often been number one at one point or another, and Andy Murray to some extent. And when they're coming up, you know, you might have been a not so much nowadays, but two or three years ago, if you were a wannabe slam winner of a for example, or a Dominic team, you might have a quarterfinal against Federer, a semifinal against Djokovic and a final against Nadal. (laughs) Well, you know, that's a tough run. Yeah, That's a tough run to get through. In the French Open, for example, that could be, I mean, certainly team had Djokovic in the semifinal a couple of years ago and then the final against Nadal. That's a that's a tough run, and I'm sure there were other slams where that well, was your. has been
1: able to do it, isn't he? He's done the toughest of runs.
0: Okay, and and, and Sitsi Pass beat Federer uh, at the Australian Open about three years ago or two years ago. Then of course he comes up against Nadal in the semi, loses. But if he had got through that, he'd had Djokovic in the final. And we all remember how that 2019 yeah. final went. I mean, it's just yeah, as you say, Vavrinka did it once, but uh, so at least. At least now you might only have to beat one of those guys, if you like. You know, Federer was pretty much done. You know, Nadal, Nadal, the future's up there. But um, so okay, um, he did beat a number one in the in the final, no doubt about that. And um, you know, I could be the best player of all time, but as you highlighted, at least he had a, at least he had a bit of a run up for it, if you like.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the, I like this stat just for the fact that you can compare Murray and Medvedev here. One of six, one of two. I think it bows a good thing for Medvedev and it sort of touched on what he was saying and where, what's next for him. It's going to give him a lot of confidence. I wanted to see what you think. Obviously, the clay still seems to be a massive issue. I don't see him going deep in Roland Garros anytime soon, but certainly the other three, I think he can improve yep. drastically at Wimbledon. Yep. I used to say Daniel Medvedev, he's got the perfect game for, for Wimbledon. I would expect him to go a bit closer than what he did this year um, for, for Wimbledon, pushing Djokovic to the wire. And then obviously Australia, finalist last year, he's great at that. And then his best slams, the US Open. So I want to see him now push on. I think I'm going to make a prediction of how many slams he can get mm-hmm. before he before he retires. I think it's a tricky one to do, but I'm going for, um, I think there's a lot of competition now. And there's going to be a lot of, I think it's going to be mixed around a bit, but I'm going to be going for, um, I'm going to go for six slams.
0: Okay, that's great. And I'll I'll, I'll address that question at at the end of this little three points I want to make. First of all, regarding the grass comment that you made, I think it's an excellent point. And even he, I think, has a feeling about grass that he can do and will do better, because in his press conference afterwards, he said how the dead fish celebration, which was just legendary. He said actually how he thought about doing it at Wimbledon on the softer surface as well. I'm sure he wasn't practicing that on clay for sure, because he doesn't (laughs) expect to be winning the French Open anytime (laughs) soon. So he obviously feels it. And there's probably a slightly less competition on the grass considering this, you know, there's probably three or four players that we think could win it, but maybe one or two of those players are a little bit further down the rankings. Whereas on the hard court, there's probably slightly more potential winners. So that's a very, bodes well for him on the grass. Secondly, um, I, I do think that sometimes these guys get compared to the big three kind of unfavorably in many ways. These are probably the three greatest players of all time, but Also, one of the statistics that is thrown at this next gen guys is that, but look at the big three in their first slam, they're winning the final or in their first couple of slams, they're winning the final and then they're winning four out of the first five slam finals. Yeah, that's fair enough. But those guys didn't have to go through the big three, if that makes sense. So when Medvedev and and Sitsipas and these other guys and team as well are getting to the finals, you know, as I said, they've already been through one or two of the big three and then they get to the final. They've got another one of the big three to beat in the front of them again. Whereas when the big three were emerging, post-Agassi, post-Sampras, if you like, and that kind of thing, they didn't quite. They didn't have themselves to go through. Put it that way. Yeah. So, so I think that's a big thing. And then finally, regarding your point about how many slams he'll win, actually, it's interesting. I remember on the telephone with a friend of mine in January or February. Actually, it was around about the semi-final time of um, of Australia. I actually said I think he'll win five plus slams, and my friend went, "Oh, that's a bit bold." And to be honest with you, for the next six months or so, I was thinking, yeah, maybe it was a bit because, you know, he didn't have, obviously, the French Open by his standards, he did well, but he didn't have a, an amazing hard-court season before that in terms of the uh, Miami, etc. I remember seeing him cramping up there and he didn't even make the final when really that was a tournament there to be won for him. And then it wasn't really until the last couple of weeks with Cincinnati, was it? Or was it Cincinnati he won? Or um, a tournament? Oh, no, it was Toronto he won, wasn't it? Yeah, um, the, oh, this Canada, Toronto, yeah. 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 So um, yes, he was going into this, but I felt Zverev actually was probably slightly in better form, uh, having beaten Djokovic in in Tokyo, etc. And again, in Tokyo, Medvedev was nowhere to be seen when when the medals were being handled out. So uh, I, I sort of started to wonder about that, but now I'm going to go back to it and say, yeah, five plus. So I'll, I'll go five, but but yeah, six also sounds very reasonable. Yeah, uh, good
1: analysis, John. I agree completely, and I think. I'm just trying to look at the other names. He's the thing I was just checking his age. He's 25 years old. He certainly can because I just see now Djokovic can't be this good forever. The other two you can already start seeing the decline more evidently than Djokovic. There's going to be a, a time for these guys to have their moment in the sun and Medvedev's doing it to Djokovic now. So yeah, certainly he can do plus five plus. I, I agree for that. I think people in the chat are agreeing as well. We've got Matthew saying... Um, if Med stays injury-free, that's another big factor, of course. Uh, I see him winning at least six hard-court majors, certainly. I'd like to see him win a Wimbledon, though.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a little... You don't need to narrow it down to that. I think he could easily win one or two Wimbledons, you know, and he could easily add one or two more hard-court titles, and then, boom, you're at five.
1: On to the next one. Uh, we've got Djokovic began the 2019 Australian Open as a 14-time Grand Slam champion. Djokovic will begin the 2022 Australian Open as a 20 time Grand Slam champion, unreal turnaround by the world number one in a short space of time, making the impossible possible. And I've got to bring a lot of these sort of pro Djokovic tweets up because Mm -hmm. I feel like he deserves. Can I just, just even though he's lost?
0: Can I just say a quick thing about that that tweet? I would even bring it down to the last twelve months. When when Nadal wins that French Open in October of twenty twenty, so not you know, eleven months ago, you're thinking three slams, that's a big gap. You know, that's a big gap to bridge for Djokovic. And you then start thinking maybe Nadal is the favourite in this slam race because I think when it was in the years gone by and, you know, he was catching up a bit, but suddenly after that pandemic hit year, you know, that began with uh, Djokovic thinking he might go the year unbeaten and, and was playing sensationally, you know, he then came back and had his US Open moment and then lost the final to, to got thrashed by Nadal in that final. And you're thinking three's a big, you know, when you, you're also yeah. thinking Nadal's going to win a couple more French, opens including this year's
1: well you thought the next one he would win as well yeah sort of...
0: so so to, just to him to just suddenly go from 20 i mean that's a really good point as well but just to go from from 2017 to 2020 in 11 months is is, is insane
1: well you can compare you can go even further back as well if you're the other side of the spectrum look at the last decade and what he's done compared yeah. to federer yeah he's not federer's hardly moved Djokovic just keeps going yeah Uh, we've got Nadal picking up a few here and there but nowhere near the level of Djokovic and Mm -hmm. you listen I think he has been the greatest player no I don't think anyone can argue the last decade certainly Mm -hmm. he has been the best player in the world the last decade Mm -hmm. and right now looking at this going into Australian Open listen mate I am ecstatic I'm so excited I think someone mentioned it in the chat earlier but we're going to be in for a real treat, John. I'm telling Fingers you. Fingers crossed
0: that the, the players are healthy, you know? Exactly. I, mean, not, not just I, Rafa, I got, Rafa got carried go away with this
1: US Open, it didn't happen. So I'm just hoping we get to see Rafa and Federer in some regard in, in, at, at Australia.
0: I'm not sure we'll see Federer, but but certainly Rafa and team. And then suddenly you, you throw those two into the mix and you've got you know a bit more depth and you've got six or seven potential winners and you might get a run from Alcaraz to a semi final or Felix to a final or something. So. You know, then that then that gives the depth that I think on a, one or two occasions in recent years the men's side has, has lacked.
1: Listen, it's going to be a great story. I'm looking forward to Ben's promo he does for it as well because <laughs> um, I'd hopefully he doesn't leave Rafa out. I feel like he's going to. I'm going to have to send a few videos in for him to include on that one because so I know it's going to be left by the wayside. Yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, Novak Djokovic. This is what he was saying on being emotional when the crowd chanted No le, No le, No le. Uh, the emotion the energy was so strong i mean it's as strong as winning 21 grand slams i mean that's how i feel honestly i felt very very special they touched my heart honestly um mm-hmm. i agree i completely understand what he's saying i don't think he's really encountered it too many times in his career where there was a real passion and desire and authenticity behind the crowd when they were saying they really did want him to win and he didn't, he's never felt that amount of love on court before. And it was overwhelming for him. And this sort of leads on nicely towards the back end of the match, because there's so much to talk about with regards to the crowd. I don't know where to begin. I know Ben said his piece on the watch along. Mm, you mm. had your say on it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to be as understanding of both sides as possible. But ultimately, I have to agree a lot with what Ben was saying. I think they mm-hmm. were very disrespectful towards Medvedev at the end. Uh, I thought it was unacceptable and I don't think it's a, a sort of a valid. Sorry, you still there?
0: Yeah, I'm still here. Sorry. Sorry
1: yeah, I think I've frozen. So... Oh, okay. uh, I saw, I don't think it was a valid excuse for people to be um, sort of getting on to um I forgot what I was saying now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, you getting on to, to, to Medvedev as he's kind of serve it out, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. They was getting on to him for no reason. And we saw the double thoughts for him. I thought he should have just taken his time because yeah. there's no... He doesn't have to serve. Then just wait for the crowd to die down. And I hate the peop- people saying with the excuse, oh, it's always been like that. That's just the way it is. We have uh, Wimbledon, which is more uh, sophisticated. The US Open crowd always they act a bit like this and they're they they they're, they're more leery with things. I just don't think it's fair, on which is Medvedev's biggest moment of his career. They're trying to ruin it. And even when he looks back on, say, the match point, what he's going to hear before the match point every time is a big boo and then an ace. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I look at it in, 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 there's so many facets to this. And that facet that you uh, highlight there is, is you're completely right. It's just out of order. You shouldn't be doing it. I agree that people should be, pulled out and, and and taken off um uh, taken away from the court etc when these things happen however I do think that we have these dis- different tournaments and we have um at, uh, at at Wimbledon for example where everyone's silent but then I've also been at Wimbledon on the first day the the slam champion Leighton Hewitt's opening and the, the stadium is half empty because everyone's doing the corporate thing there and they're all you know off elsewhere having a drink and a good time at the U.S. Open you've got a much broader range of people and I like that inclusivity. I like Wimbledon for what it represents in many ways, with the tradition and the color, and or the lack of color in terms of what the players are wearing. But I see each one as being, yeah, as being different. And and I really, I look forward to the U.S. Open as a as a, as a crowd member more than the other three slams. I've been fortunate enough to go to the U.S. Open a couple of times, Australia once, French Open and Wimbledon several times, and I see. Um, I see see Wimbledon as being sorry I see the US Open as being the most exciting one of the four to visit to be a part of to see the different bunches of people the tickets are much more affordable as well which is also great and I want to see tennis enjoyed by people from all different parts of society and so when I'm at the US Open I see that I don't see it at Wimbledon it's a lot more corporate and a lot richer people <clears throat> um yeah, no worries. I can I'm just get a message of JG. He's just, uh, his internet's frozen. So I'm actually putting it out to you guys in the chat, basically, to say what you think of, of that issue. Uh, you know, may, maybe many of you, I know Michael was at the US Open this year. What do you think? What do our other people are, are on the chat think about um what you know, what went on at this tournament. do you have a particular favorite? Maybe you prefer the French Open. I love the French Open as well. Maybe slightly more in terms of the t- tennis and the style of tennis on on offer. But uh for me, the US Open is is huge. Um and much more enjoyable than than the other ones. So I've just just got to see their comment there from Tassany. She said at Wimbledon, that was perfect Novak, yeah. Uh, I can see Gene there having a bit of banter with somebody, it looks like. Um. So, yeah, just tell me what what you think, what what you prefer, um, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Oh, apologies, John. I'm not sure what happened. My laptop completely shut down on me. Um, no worries. No I worries. Felt like I, it, give... I felt like it was happening because I froze and I couldn't seem to move my laptop. So I wasn't sure if you could still hear me. Um,
0: no, I couldn't. But it's, it's, it's OK. I just went on a bit of a, not a rant. I, I think it was far more measured than that, but just giving the, the pros and cons of the U.S. Open crowd compared to, you know, some of the other ones. And I, I do think it's case by case. I think that the example with the serve, out of order. But I also like the fact that we have these different tournaments and it's just another element that you, you've you got to deal with. And I don't think Medvedev dealt with it perfectly at the beginning, but, but listen to the players after each match. Even the losers are coming off saying, I love this crowd. I love it. And I love also having fans back. There are so, some
1: good parts of it for sure. I do like that, but I think the whole match point stuff is just not acceptable because agree, you agree. are in. I think you're you're manipulating the fact of what could happen. Um, I think it can definitely get in some players' heads. Let's be honest if Medvedev was able to be well, well if Djokovic was able to break Medvedev, say, at 5 4 which looked like an actual possibility at one point because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the crowd were all cheering Djokovic and he was coming back into his strides and hitting well. The best that we see him play all, all match, to be honest. Did that, that last game, happen, game go
0: to 40-30? Did he double fault and he went to 40-30 as well?
1: I yeah, 40-30 yeah, and then he finished with mm. an ace. And yeah. th- Listen, I would have hated that for Djokovic to come back then. And not because I didn't want Djokovic to come back because I think it would just taken away the whole it have had a very sour taste this final in everyone's mouth. If Djokovic was to come back from that moment. Say, I think uh, Medvedev was talking about how he started to cramp up a little bit as mm-hmm. well. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if yeah, he would have wanted. He didn't
0: want to. He didn't want to show Djokovic that. That's why no. he said he felt it on a changeover, and he said he, I wanted to hide it from him because again, you can feed off that, and that's what I mean by Djokovic's confidence when he's playing Zverev. Zverev gives him a slight opening, and he gives him the opening because Zverev gets nervous in the big moments, and then you can become more confident. There's nothing better than knowing that your opponent's anxious, and and so he never quite got that during this match in terms of Medvedev. There was that little wobble as you mentioned, but yep. Medvedev was so strong.
1: Let's move on to the next one. Sure. So we've got here, this is the one I wanted to bring earlier. I think we did talk about it, but the only male player to win the calendar Grand Slam in the Open Era was Rod Laver in 69, when tennis was totally different from now. Uh, And three of the four Grand Slams were played on grass. That sort of surprised me, actually. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I know you're familiar with it. And the only man in the last 50 years to be just one match away. So the last 50 years... To be one match away from the calendar Grand Slam is Novak Djokovic, and listen, we know Federer has been um, one Slam away, but it's never worked out in that same order, has it? Um, so... No,
0: right. I mean, I mean, actually, just winning the first two, neither Nadal or Federer have done that. No. Just winning the first two in a yeah. year, um, because the year that Nadal won Australia, he then lost to Soddling at, at the French, and the year that that was the same year, funnily enough, that that. Um, uh Federer got his one and only French Open. So, yeah, they've yeah. not come close.
1: Yeah, listen, this, the only thing I was going to ask you about this, I think we spoke about it, was do you think it's ever going to happen again? And we both really think no.
0: No, I mean, I mean, you never say never, but the likelihood of it happening is a kind of a once-in-a-generation thing. And, and just not because the, the talent isn't there, and it, you could even be much better than all of your opponents, and arguably Djokovic is yeah. and has been. But he knows as well as that's why he said it's the match of my life. You know, this is oh. this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so many things need to go your way. Uh, fitness, even just fitness. When we saw how vulnerable he was in Australia this year, it was unbelievable. He pulled through there. So, yeah, it's not not going to happen again. But I'll be happy to come on the podcast in a year from now <laughs> as as uh, John Isner is serving <laughs> for the match. to win going to go hand Carlos Alcaraz,
1: 2024 yeah (laughs) but um yeah no I agree completely it's also
0: it's also the the fact it's three different surfaces I mean that's huge there's there's no other sport really like that I mean football is pretty much always on grass all of these other tournaments or all all these other sports are always on the same you don't have that verb you don't have suddenly you know um Lionel Messi going oh I don't fancy this surface that much it's not (laughs) my preferred surface you know so So that's the other variable in tennis, which makes that great. I think it would be difficult, even if all four on the same, even if all four hard courts, I think it's tough to do because all the variables. But then you throw in the fact that you've got three wildly different surfaces. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a once in a generation thing.
1: It's brutal. And listen, I think not many, there's a lot of people who can't really, who you can't deny the fact that Djokovic is the greatest player in the world. They'll say that if he was to, if he did win this last match, then he, for me cements himself as the greatest Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um now it opens up to a bit more discussion i think and us rafa fans can fight our way it's it's tough djokovic you'd expect him to still break 21 first he's going to be favorite going into australia but really the calendar year grand slam that would have been another sort of accolade he can add to his name which let's be honest no one can really then deny him the greatest player of all time i don't think right
0: I mean, I think ultimately if he ends up winning the most slams as well, he should probably close that debate too. But whilst it's 20 each, there's a there's a bit of a debate to be had.
1: Here you go. A bit of comedy now, Tennis TV. Uh, we had a lot of different tennis accounts tweeting this. And I don't know if you play much FIFA yourself, John.
0: Um, no, but I'm aware of it. I'm aware of it because he basically said, yeah.
1: Yeah. So this is the dead fish celebration uh, from <laughs> Daniel Medvedev. It is very bizarre he's a very weird character isn't he like everything about him everything about him is weird and i mean that in the nicest way possible because i love him i think he's great going back to the u.s open where he was sort of giving it to the crowd then i loved all of that antics i thought it was great
0: and his celebration at the atp tour finals when he won the the tournament arguably the biggest tournament of his career up to that point and he just goes okay
1: no emotion whatsoever (laughs) I feel like even his uh, his wife, they went to the box and after she, they'd just won, she was just, I don't know, it's like she didn't even know he would just won. There wasn't very she, much emotion there. No, but it, it's just a very weird character. Like even his wife, she gets, his, his gets Mosad. It's weird.
0: I know, I know. She gets his humor though, as well, because yeah. you do see sometimes she's smiling and laughing at certain things that, that go, like during his speeches and stuff when he's talking. Yeah. Um, listen, so, I think it's, yeah. it's
1: refreshing. I love to see it on Me the too. men's tour. Uh, Me people too. will tune in for his interviews more than most because you don't know what he's going to say. And yeah. certainly, his celebrations now hes he's got to say he's got, I know you've got a lot of the iconic ones with Djokovic <laughs> in Winwood and eating grass, you've yeah, Nadal covered sort of in clay, on his back with a sprawled yeah. out on the grass, on the ground, yeah. Uh, yeah. not on the grass. It's very rare that happens, unfortunately. We've
0: got that amazing one of Federal when he beats Sampras, um, and he sort of just. God, like his knees crumpled to the ground he just yep. can't believe that this has finally happened to him he had, had the big breakthrough and even then also when he won it as well a couple of years later with with the tears so yeah but then <laughs> this is
1: another what's next if he wins another grand slam do you know what i hope i hope he has some silly celebration plan for every single one <laughs> because it well, is, I, I there's just, gonna be I, some just, die-hard tennis fans who won't like this i think they're gonna think it's a bit childish but listen i think it's exactly what we need in tennis
0: and that's my point by the way by the way there'll be some diehard tennis fans at wimbledon that will be thinking that that it's not treating his opponent with respect or not that'll be those guys and so that brings me the us open guys and, and most other the slams they'll be fine with it you know
1: yeah there we go so next one we have what's this one I think this is a lovely line from Daniel Medvedev uh, just now. uh, When asked what he said to fellow US Open champion Emma Raducanu, he said, I said, congrats. What else can you say? But I don't know if that's enough to be in a movie. (laughs) 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 It's it's perfect, isn't it? This is just the character he is. There's going to be an Emma Raducanu movie. I'm more or less certain of that. And it's going to do very well. That story's amazing. Um, we've done that to the death. We're gonna, we're not going to finish there as well. We're going to be doing plenty more podcasts talking about Emma Raducanu, hoping we see her now in Indian Wells. I know there's talk that she has to go through the qualification in that still, which I was a bit surprised with. I'm not sure how it works exactly, but maybe when she entered, because of her old ranking, I think they're going to give her a wild card. I'll be shocked if they don't. You can't yeah. miss out. Well, she's now she 23. To play, she can play.
0: She's now 23 in the world. So I, I, I don't know why, unless they've already got the, you know, I'm not yep. sure exactly when Indian Wells is, but I, I can't believe they'd be that inflexible.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm, hopefully that's going to be okay. But yeah, another good one from Daniel Medvedev there. I wonder if he does make the movie with his little line saying, congrats.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or someone else will be playing him maybe if it if it turns into a movie.
1: I hope I'd make the movie, me and Ben. Well, that'd be good if we're in there, a little line talking about. Oh, it's Radu Karni. and The song comes up on the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get some royalties for that. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> next one. Uh, this is the last thing we're going to really talk about on this, and this is Dominic Team. Uh, I'll let you read these out because you wanted to share these.
0: Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to be catching some of Team as well on on Eurosport, along with you guys, and uh, I did sort did of a joke great job about by it, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. All tournament. And, yeah, he did, and um, yeah, because he also appeared, I think, on the tennis channel at one point. The as Tennis well. channel
1: was very good. Yeah,
0: yeah. So um, anyway, uh, he was donning a, a kind of a, a, a turtleneck with a with a with a necklace on as well. It was a very interesting look for Mister Team. Uh, From someone who I think is generally quite fashionable, but he would obviously decided to take a risk with his wardrobe on Sunday night. But what he didn't take a risk with were his comments, as you can see there. What a performance. Congrats on your first Grand Slam title. And Dominic, of course, or Mr. Team, I should call him maybe. The name's Team, Mr. Team. He will know exactly how it feels to win your first Grand Slam title because it wasn't that long ago that he did it, as he was all very well happy to remind us shortly after that tweet congratulating Medvedev. As he said, by the way, a day I'll never forget. It's been one year since I lifted the trophy. He said that yesterday, Uh, such great memories. And he said he can't wait to be back next year. And I think on that point, I think we all can't wait to have Dominic team back oh, on the tour, great. fully fit and functioning and firing. I don't think we'll see him again this year. I could be wrong on that, and I'll be happy to be proved wrong. No, I don't no, think he's I don't I think that. That hasn't been decided. Not like Rafa, he's not sort of called it yet. But, but um, given that, that that there's not a huge amount left to play for, uh, I imagine that we'll be seeing him again in Australia and and can't wait for that as i say to give it more out of depth to make it more competition i'm looking forward to the next women's slam because it could be one of 30 or 40 players or even 128 players that could win it whereas the men's tour at times has been a bit less than that and, and but just having players like team out there you know just gives a bit more depth and a few more things like you know dominic team could win australia for sure he's been in a final already yeah. he does very well on the hard courts and i just think that not uh, another reason why I don't think Djokovic will come as close You've next year. Because
1: he has ended his season already, so maybe he has yeah, come okay, out and said all right,
0: thanks, Jake. So, um, uh, I just don't think we, we you are now going to see other players that are going. Okay, uh, Medvedev has done it. Uh, I can do it too. I am as good as Medvedev. Um, I don't think that they would probably feel quite the psychological deficit that they would do if they were the person having to make that breakthrough. So now that has been done, players like Team, Zverev, Pass should take heart.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think what you said about team being back is needed in the sport because he he brings something very different. I love how yeah. he can play on all the surfaces.
0: Yeah, and, and his backhand, the one hand, well. the one-handed backhand. I know Citi is very good at it too. And you know, Federer probably the best of all time in that respect. But it's just uh, it's just another element of the sport and another person that we we need back on on the because on the court. As soon said, as looking possible. at
1: looking at the other guys, we can look at Medvedev here. He's nowhere near as good as say Team across. Clay and hard no. courts, you got, and I think you can see that for a few, even sits to a level. I don't think he's as good of a hard quarter as say Dominic team. Um, yeah, the thing is the... for it, but Zverev is he can be he can play on a lot of surfaces, but he's not nowhere near as good as team. Team is a fundamentally a clay quarter and he's developed into playing on hard. And yeah. listen, I can't wait to see team back. I think he's going to push a lot of the other guys. I think watching him against say Rafa. And even Djokovic, they historically for me have been the the greatest matches against the big three from like the the players just outside of big four, exclude Andy Murray, more in recent years. Like I've enjoyed watching Team Rafa say more than even any of the other players. But since the pass has made it a lot closer this year, and I think everything's now leading up to 2022, we're in for a real blockbuster, John.
0: Yeah, can't wait. And and just quickly and one more thing on team, uh, I think on a hard court, uh, if they're both fully fit now, you would back team against Nadal, given the, the recent head to head record on, on on a hard surface. I mean certainly in a Beamer, tie
1: break. I think he's beaten him in yeah. the last five tie breaks they've played. So. Yeah,
0: there was there was three in Australia and then I think Maybe there was more. two more in, in the ATP. Um yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. And and uh, but you know, we'll who knows what shape Nadal will be? And I, I think there's more questions over his fitness than than Dominic teams in terms of in terms of Australia. But but he, uh, I hope and 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 I'm optimistic that that Nadal will be in Australia. But uh, what shape or form? I don't know.
1: Some closing remarks then for this podcast. US Opens over. The two weeks are done. Uh, Game to love are going to be back anyway. We're going to be covering. All of the upcoming events, I think we've still got plenty left. We've got the next-gen finals, the ATP finals, we've got the women's finals as well. Uh, so, so much still to be covered here on Game to Love. Indian Wells around the corner, Lever Cup as well. So, you don't want to go anywhere. So, like and subscribe if you haven't already. But, the sorry, the closing remark I wanted to make about Daniel Medvedev is what a talent he is. And he is serious now. I think this is going to open the floodgates for him. We're going to see him do well in more slams, not that he hasn't already, and it's going to make a big rivalry between the likes of the chasing pack and they're going to want to try and hunt him down. The The way I would describe Daniel Medford right now is very unorthodox in every way, shape, form imaginable. He is just everything you wouldn't expect. And that comes from the celebrations, what he says, and even how he plays tennis. I think mm-hmm. someone of that stature who's able to hit so big and hit brilliant aces like he does and Mm -hmm. incredibly hard serves, to be able to move like he does as well, have we seen a big guy like that move like that? It's like John Isner gliding around the court. It just wouldn't look right. But Daniel (laughs) Medvedev, effortless with it.
0: And he's very funny with some of his remarks about clay or something like he might tweet something like, oh, I want a match on clay at last or, or something like that. Or I think it was before, I think it was Hamburg last year where he said, I'm yeah. looking forward to the clay court season. You know, it was a very short one last year. And then uh, he lost in the first round and he tweeted shortly afterwards. Well, that went well. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's, he's, he's a lot of fun off the court. He's fun on the court and uh, long may it continue.
1: Uh, let's wrap it up there. Last question for you, though, John. Will Med okay. finish year-end number one?
0: No. Uh, the gap is 1,400 points, I think, something like that. Yep. And the problem is, is that Medvedev actually is defending some points <laughs> defending <them all>. in <laughs> Paris, certainly Um, Paris-Bursley, I think that is. And Djokovic, actually, if we remember last year, his season tailed off. So I think even if there wasn't that, defending lots of points and not, I still think 1,400 is a huge gap to bridge um, and and it would be kind of weird to have the the guy who gets to three you know four Grand Slam finals winning three of them doesn't end the year as world number one that would be uh, an odd thing but we've seen a few odd things in the in the rankings in the last couple of years but um no I, I don't see that it, I think it mathematically could be closed but um but I don't see it happening
1: yeah it's mathematically possible I, don't, I, don't, I agree I don't think it's possible I don't think it's going to happen should I say yeah. uh, but let's wrap it up there big shout out for you John for coming on uh, great to hear your Knowledge and wisdom, as, as always, on this amazing US Open, which we've witnessed. Uh, so hopefully see you soon for some upcoming cool. events the, this year. Yeah. Uh, for now, though, big shout out to everyone who watched. If you haven't already, hit the like button on the video, subscribe if you're new, and we'll see you very soon for more tennis action on Game to Love. See you guys Take in a care. bit. See you.